If you're looking for proven ways to take your fundraising results to the next level, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast, hosted by Tammy Zonker. Tammy has trained and led thousands of nonprofit organizations to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars and is also recognized as one of America's top 20 fundraising experts. This is the podcast where Tammy equips and empowers amazing fundraising pros like you to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. And now, let's hear from Tammy. We'll start the show in a moment after a word from a few amazing fundraisers about what they value most as members of Tammy Zonker's Fundraising Transformers community. I have had the honor of learning and growing from Tammy. She has really helped us understand how to communicate better with our donors, how to make sure that our mission is at the front line of their decision making. And she has just been an absolute joy to learn from. That's Stevie Shoemate from Chapters Health Foundation in Tampa, talking about how being a growth member is helping her communicate better with her donors. When you join Tammy's Fundraising Transformers community as a growth member, you get live training and coaching with Tammy twice each month. You can get your burning questions answered during her live Ask Me Anything sessions. You get to join in Tammy's live weekly hot topic discussions. You can engage with other fundraising pros like you in her private and safe online community. And you get 24-7 access to her growing library of on-demand fundraising training videos and tools. Here's Jenna Sapluski from the Coalition for Children, Youth, and Families in Milwaukee talking about how being a growth member in Tammy's Fundraising Transformers community is helping her grow her capacity, her skills, and her confidence as a fundraiser. It's been so helpful for me to grow my capacity and my skills. I feel more confident uh, knowing that I have Tammy and the Fundraising Transformers group for support. I've reached out to Tammy and the group on several occasions, whether it be just some wording for an email to say, hey, can somebody give me just a little bit of feedback on this? I'd love your thoughts before I send this out for an initiative. We'll hear more later in the show about why Jenna values having access to Tammy's members-only, on-demand training library. To learn more about the Fundraising Transformers community, visit fundraisingtransformed.com forward slash growth. Stephen, welcome to the Intentional Fundraiser podcast. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. Thank you. My pleasure. So let me introduce Stephen. I'm going to try and do this as succinctly as possible because like there was a lot to share. Uh, first of all, Stephen's one of the nicest humans you'll ever meet. Oh, <laughs> and that's true. You're a champion for fundraisers and for nonprofits and for change makers, for really making the world a better place. And I love that about you. Uh, He's the author of Robots Make Bad Fundraisers, How Nonprofits Can Maintain Heart in the Digital Age. It's a brilliant book. Uh, I know our listeners can't see me, but I did lift up a copy of the book and showed all my post-it notes and all the pages that are dog-eared because it is just chock full of those juicy nuggets of information and strategies and suggestions that could be applied right away to really make a difference. So it's brilliant, and I highly recommend 
that you get it. I got actually three copies mm-hmm. <laughs> on Amazon. So uh, check it out. If you if you're so inclined, I think it's a it's a great book. He's also a prolific conference speaker who always packs a room. We both serve on the faculty of the Institute for Charitable Giving, which was founded by the legendary Gerald Panis and Bill Sturdivant. And last but not least, Stephen is the chief engagement officer at Bloomerang. Now, if by the slim chance that you haven't heard of Bloomerang, you should really check them out at bloomerang.co. They have developed an amazing, simple to use, world-class data management system that helps nonprofits deliver a better giving experience to our donors so we can raise more money and create lasting change. And I'll add, Bloomerang is also very generous with free resources. They host free webinars weekly on hot topics led by industry experts. Um, I've had the privilege of leading um, one or two a year for the last few years. And Stephen always does a great job of hosting that. So let's get started. Are you ready, Stephen? I'm ready. That was so energizing. Thank you for all the kind of words. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> okay, awesome. Um, so first again, congratulations on your great new book, Robots Make Bad Fundraisers. And the irony is not lost on me that you, the chief engagement officer with Bloomerang, a donor data technology company, has written a book about the importance of creating and maintaining heart-centered connections with our donors. So you, I'm going to jump into really, I think this was in the very first few pages. You write about the fact that despite all the research and all the insights that we have from Adrian Sargent, from Penelope Burke, like from all of those research studies, we know what donors want. And yet for the past 40 years, philanthropy as a total of the U.S. gross domestic product has stubbornly remained at about 2%. At the same time, the average donor retention rate has stayed right around 40 to 45% for nearly 20 years, Mm -hmm. according to the AFP Fundraising Effectiveness Project. So Stephen, tell us why donors stop supporting our organizations and what they want in order to continue giving. Yeah, well, there's a lot of people looking at that, right? There's almost uh, on an annual basis and sometimes even more frequently people like Adrian Sargent, who you mentioned, Jen Shang, Penelope Burke, lots of people talking to donors, surveying donors, you know, parsing through data from software programs like Bloomerang and other databases um, to kind of find out what it is that makes donors tick and why they do keep giving and 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 eventually stop giving. Um, and the retention rate you mentioned, yeah, around 45% since certainly FEP has been looking at it, but probably even longer. But in all of those studies where um, someone is, is asked, you know, hey, why did you suddenly stop giving to these organizations? Or conversely, why do you keep giving to these organizations? You know, what are those high-performing nonprofits doing? By and large, the answers are the same. And I kind of like to separate them into two categories. One are things that we as fundraisers can't control, like a donor passing away, which is a pretty big chunk of of those lapsed reasons, you know, 15 to 20%. um, You know, the average age of of an American donor, for example, is, you know, above 65 years old. So that's going to happen. And there's not not much we can do about that. The other biggest reason that I put in that uncontrollable camp is financial difficulties. You know, people's 
household budgets, their incomes change, they can be disrupted. And, and, you know, so often charitable giving is, is something that kind of goes on that household budget chopping block when things have to, um, you know, get a little tighter there. But then the other side of the coin, uh, that second category, again and again, we hear things around being thanked and then being communicated to about the impact that that gift made on whatever cause or community uh, the nonprofit is serving. Those two things, that thanking and reporting piece, not just in lapsed donor surveys, but also in loyal donor surveys, are the things that donors are saying keeps them around um, the most. You know, this idea of, of stewardship and donor communications. Of course, we want to say thank you. Um, and a lot of nonprofits are doing that, but maybe not in the way or the format uh, or the speed that uh, really kind of moves the needle for donor loyalty. Uh, there was a study just last fall uh, in late 2021 done by the IU School of Philanthropy. Um, so that's kind of the most recent one that, again, is coming to this conclusion. They want to know, hey, how is that gift being used? What impact is it making? Because donors are donating because they want to change whatever they see in the world that they don't like, right? So I think it's logical to assume that, hey, they want to be updated on those things. And, you know, who are the families being uh, served? Who are the animals getting adopted? What's the research breakthrough you're making? What is that uh, piece of the environment that you're protecting? A lot of organizations do this. They do this storytelling piece, um, but maybe it's it's sort of hidden in, in the annual report once a year, or maybe that video that you know you show at your gala, uh, at, you know, one time a year. These stories should be ever present, not just in your thank yous, but as standalone pieces, as standalone stewardship pieces, in your newsletter, in your appeals, even um, those two things, by and large, are are kind of the recurring themes that you'll see in any donor loyalty research going back to uh, before the 2000s from people like you mentioned, like Adrian Sargent, Penelope Burke. Um, I think the problem is, maybe even an opportunity is the best way to say it, um, it's hard. You know, There's more noise to the point you made about how that 2% of GDP hasn't changed and retention rates haven't changed. Uh, it's hard for us. You know, uh, it, it, It's hard to sometimes break through that noise when donors, consumers are getting bombarded by all kinds of messages in all kinds of formats, email, text, phone calls, direct mail. Um, and it's always tough to break through. But the organizations that do break through, those are the ones that achieve sort of those higher than average retention rates and you know year over year fundraising increases and all those great things um, that we wanna see. But thanking and reporting, really is is what it boils down to. That's mm -hmm. so spot on. And, you know, what I struggle with, I think what's so frustrating for all of us in the sector is that there is this knowing doing gap, mm -hmm. right? Like we've known for quite some time that donors, as you said, they want to be thanked promptly, accurately. They want to understand the impact of their gift, how lives have been changed, to your point, which dog, you know, the dogs or the animals that have been rescued and have forever homes, um, the pieces of land and air that are preserved now, thanks mm -hmm. to generous supporters. 
And yet it inevitably that stewardship, that prompt, accurate response, it seems to get put on the back burner in favor of another event or, you know, like chasing fundraising idea acquisition idea du jour. Yeah. When, when it, when we know that donor retention uh, has a much better return on investment than these ideas that keep getting put in front of us by well-meaning board members or mm-hmm. volunteers or even executive leadership. Yeah, it's it's really hard. And, you know, to, to compound that problem, because I agree with everything you said, we're already overworked, you know, under-resourced, underpaid in many cases. And it's hard, especially when it's new, right? It's, it's, it's hard to say, well, I'm going to carve an hour out of my Friday just to make thank you phone calls, or, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to sit down and and maybe write some thank you notes or or make some videos and just kind of tell some stories to some supporters. Um, And there's a lot of people like us, right. And, and I don't mean to discourage anyone by saying, you know, you're never doing enough because there's always things you want to do. But I think one bright spot of the pandemic, if, if, you know, and, and not to, you know, say that it wasn't a terrible time and still is, but I think that that has sort of shook loose a lot of people to maybe experiment because they couldn't do events or, uh, you know, other, there were other, um, you know, restrictions, um, or barriers to the things that they were normally doing, but you're absolutely right. Those are the high ROI activities, but it can be hard to find that time because very often there isn't an immediate ROI to it, right? It's very long tail in some cases. So it's even harder to get that buy-in. Um, so what I tell people is, you know, start small. Is it a half hour a week where maybe you're just calling your first time donors that have given recently, or maybe it's a half hour a week where you're just sending an email to your monthly donors just to say, Hey, Tammy, you know, thanks for being a monthly donor. You're awesome. You know, you're keeping the lights on. Um, and we, we just appreciate that sustained support. When And if you can start to do that and maybe start to see the results adding a little bit more time and in increments, that's when I think some really cool things can start to happen. But you're right. It is all about that prioritization, and maybe kind of letting go of some of those, the things we've always done. Um, and sometimes we don't even really like doing those things like special events in some cases. But yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. And I love the way you framed it as really an opportunity to reset as we hopefully continue to emerge from the pandemic, or at least what seems to be the scariest part of the pandemic, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there are variants, but we have vaccinations, we have we have re- yeah. resources to mitigate those things. Yeah. So I want to talk about the fact that, you know, we have seen a lot of fundraiser, fundraising professionals through through our work. I've certainly have been a frontline fundraiser or worked with fundraisers for more than 25 years. The point is we have both seen fundraisers who seem to be most comfortable with what I would call arm's length donor engagement. So way easier to communicate with our donors from our keyboard, sending out those email blasts or maybe mailing out those sponsorship materials to our corporate supporters or or prospective supporters. I've even heard, I'm sure you have too, of those ringless voicemail tools Mm -hmm. that uh, allow you to call someone and leave a voicemail directly so it never even rings. Yeah. Because 
heaven forbid, a, a donor should pick, pick up the up. phone and you would have a real life <laughs> conversation with them. So it seems that maybe some of those tools and those more comfortable arms length ways of fundraising are more efficient, right? You can crank, how many of those can you crank out in an hour versus, you know, dialing that donor that you know is a little chatty. <laughs> um, so how do you see that these technology-based tools and the behaviors of leaning toward technology-based tools undermine donor engagement and therefore, you know, really suppress retention? Yeah, this is the question that's really at the heart of the book, right? There, I think there's sort of two readings of the title that obviously robots wouldn't make a good fundraiser because humans give to humans. But also the second meaning, which I think is even more relevant and pertinent to this question is, I think a lot of these times, the tools, the kinds of things you're mentioning, and more specifically, the vendors and the companies who create and sell those things, they're a little bit of a liability to the sector and maybe even danger, although danger is a little bit of an extreme word. And what I mean is there's a lot of these companies and tools and I work at a tech company, which, you know, you mentioned rather shortly at the beginning, who will, you know, pursue the fundraising sector, the typical fundraiser who is, again, overworked, perhaps underpaid, under-resourced, and say to them, we've got this thing that's going to take care of it for you. You don't have to worry. You can buy this thing from us and set it and forget it, and we will do that thing for you which on the surface sounds great, right? Because we do want to find those efficiencies and we are under-resourced. But, and the question I pose in the book is at what cost, right? What is it that you're actually replacing so that the fundraiser can do something else? Like, what is that something else, first of all? And what is it that the tool is going to do instead of the fundraiser doing it themselves? And you nailed it a lot of these tools are, are meant to speak to the donor for us, right? To take away that opportunity or replace that opportunity to make that personal connection. And I would argue, and I think you probably agree, that those are some of the best things that fundraisers can be doing. Can we get rid of some of that other stuff, right? Take some of that other stuff off the plate so that a fundraiser has time to meet with a donor, call a donor, you know, write them a note, all those great things that we know really work and have ROI, but that maybe seem like, oh, dang, that's going to take up a lot of time. I got so many other things to do. I got to get this campaign up and running. I got to onboard these volunteers and I get it. It's really hard. But that I think is something that I have seen in the sector kind of get worse and worse. You know, all these tools say, we'll automate it for you. We'll take care of it for you. You don't have to worry about, um, you know, communicating to your donors. We'll automate it for you. We'll, we'll set up that, that communications cadence or we'll do all those things for you. And, I, and what I'm trying to say in the book is, let's call a quick timeout here and, and look more critically. Now, automation is great. You know, there are, are things that can totally be automated but I want those things to um, that are going to get automated to save time for a fundraiser to reach out personally, right? Because fun, people give to people, humans give to people. Fundraising is a very personal, um, you know, donating is very personal in a lot of cases. In most cases, my fear is that we may lose that sort of personal touch that really is, is 
very important to the nonprofit sector and probably the last bastion compared to the for-profit sector where good luck talking to a person. I mean, you know, calling a, a somebody that, you know, your cell phone company, your cable company, or somebody you bought clothes off of, like, good luck. Not the nonprofit sector, that's an advantage, you know, and there's something you don't hear very often that the nonprofit sector has an advantage over the for-profit sector. This is the place, but I fear it's ebbing away because so many of these technology companies are kind of cutting into it with good intentions, I'm sure, because they know the sector is overworked and under-resourced. So what I tell people is, okay, you're looking at this tool, this piece of software, is it going to help you build a relationship, right? Is it going to help you make that personal connection? Is it going to help you tell a story, you know, say thank you? That's the lens that I sort of put under, or maybe the litmus test is a better way of putting it um, when evaluating tools rather than, oh, it's just going to do this thing for me. Great. I don't have to ever worry about calling donors, um, which is a shame because calling donors, for example, especially for first-time donors, really, really effective, probably because it's surprising. It's like, wow, a human called me to say thank you in, in the year 2022. It, and it's kind of sad and perverse that that is such a standout thing, but that's magical. And that would be a shame, um, I think, to leave to a robot to do, because I don't think it will be as effective. Um, and it may actually be more fun than some of those other things that you're actually saving your time to, to do instead. I couldn't agree more. And I, I think you said it so well in the book. And I wrote this down. You wrote, technology works best when it enables relationship building instead of taking its place. Yes. You just said in five seconds what took me a, a rambling five-minute response to say. But yeah, that's that's really uh, the point. And, and that's the litmus test, right? If you're looking at a piece of software, a tool, is it going to do that? Is it going to enable that? Um, and if not, I don't know that I would invest in it. Yeah, that's the perfect litmus test. <laughs> and, and like you, I have been both on the calling end, thanking donors or equipping and empowering board members or leadership uh, volunteers to call and thank donors for their generous gift. Mm-hmm. And not only are they, they blown away that they got a phone call from a board member or anyone thanking anyone. them for their gift. And there's that critical moment where they're waiting for the the shoe to fall, right? right? Like they're going to ask me for more money now, right? Yeah. But we don't. We say, that's really the point of my call. I just wanted to say, you are helping young people become the amazing people they were born to be. And I want to thank you for that. And then the floodgates open up. Yeah. Donors began gushing about how they were served when they were a youth or they were so blessed and want to give back. I mean, it's really inspiring. And it opens the door to that deeper relationship and them sharing their journey and why this cause is important to them. And that's maybe why, to your point, that voicemail thing kind of removes that opportunity, right? And when you call, if you were to call yourself, probably most of them are going to go to voicemail. But those couple that pick up, you know, it'd probably be hard to have that conversation. You know, hey, Tammy, thanks for donating. No, this is your first donation. You know, how'd you hear about us? Why are you interested in, in this particular cause? And, you know, I think most people who donate, there's a very personal reason behind that, right? And you may get some really valuable information from them that will help you 
contextualize the subsequent communication. I think that's probably the uh, maybe even a bigger reason why the phone calls are so effective, not because it does all those great things. Like you said, it's a surprise and it stands out and they feel appreciated. But to gather that information, knowing why a donor gives is probably the most important data point. That's what we tell, you know, we're a database company. So we tell people, you know, that reason that opens the the floodgates, like you said, and you can communicate to them better, right? You may be able to tell specific stories tied to that particular service offering or, or, you know, uh, cause type or whatever it is they give you as a reason. And that's just going to, you know, speed up that relationship building process because you know, um, but that's the opportunity, right? Cause it is such a surprise, you know, think of all the for-profits that someone, um, you know, patronizes in, in any given day or week, You're not going to hear from those companies. Nobody's going to call you up and say, Hey, thank you so much for, um, visiting our restaurant or getting a car wash from us. Maybe they should, but they're probably not going to. So that is the advantage, just the opportunity to stand out, not just from all brands, but from other nonprofit brands who, who may not be calling. Perfect. And it's the perfect segue into the next topic I want to talk about, which is data segmentation Yes. and how to really do it well so that if I'm receiving communication from you, I feel like you're speaking directly to me. This is whenever I look at customers, um, Bloomerang customers, and those are the people that I have access to is why I mention it, who have high retention rates, right? Higher than that, maybe 44, 45% average. The one thing I notice first in almost every case is that they're doing some form of segmentation. I think this is the lowest hanging fruit if you want to improve your retention rates. So basically all we're saying here is, not taking a one-size-fits-all approach to how you communicate to donors. So not having, for example, one thank you letter template that you would send out to any donor, whether it was their first gift or their 10th gift, whether they gave $10 or $1,000, whether they give monthly to a specific campaign or a specific fund designation, that is, that's a killer, you know, to put it kind of bluntly. But when you can break those things up to where you, maybe you have a welcome kit for first-time donors, or maybe you have a monthly donor newsletter um, or a special, you know, thank you letter for someone who's given, you know, five years in a row or has been giving for at least the last five years. That is really, really powerful because it does what you, what you said in, in your question is it makes the donor feel like, you kind of know who they are and how they support you and why they support you. Donors kind of like it when you tell them what kind of donor they are. That's a really good way to achieve segmentation without having to reinvent the wheel for every one of those letters. I imagine somebody listening to this and like, oh, geez, I got to create 10 different letter templates. Not necessarily. If you start them by saying, hey, Tammy, thanks for your first donation. Thanks for joining the community of donors. Thanks for being a monthly donor. Thanks for giving on Giving Tuesday. Thanks for giving to our capital campaign. If that's all you do, you're doing segmentation and you're probably way ahead of most people who are just sending that thank you for donating. You know, your gift is tax deductible and it'll go to help these kids. That if you can go beyond that and you can go even farther and get into specific storytelling, like if you're an organization that has a kind of a wide service offering where you're touching multiple types of environments or you're you know, fighting different types of cancers. Again, if you can find out why that donor gave and why they are interested in it, you can kind of tailor those stories 
based on the things you do. And that's segmentation. Sending a welcome kit is segmentation, right? Because you're only sending it to one group or cohort or segment of supporters. This is, I think, the best thing that you can do for retention. And we saw this really become even more important during the pandemic. We had a customer that um, sent out a crisis campaign really early on, like March or April of 2020. Tensions were high. People were afraid. They weren't sure what was going on. And rather than them sending it to just the whole database, just kind of throwing up the alarm bell saying, dang, we're going to have to close if we don't get some help. They instead segmented it to three groups, lapsed donors, monthly donors, and active donors, and said different things to those people. Because active donors, they had already supported recently, so they had to kind of explain why they were going back to them so quickly. Monthly donors, dang, they're donating um, on a schedule. It's already going to happen. So you know, imagine a monthly donor getting it and be like, wait a minute, I'm already a monthly donor. Why are you asking me for money? Don't you know I'm a monthly donor? Avoiding that don't you know I am dot, dot, dot is really one of the best things about segmentation because you avoid any of those you know, p- potential alienating things that they can get from you. Um, that's really powerful. So even if you only have one thank you letter template, you know, print it out, run that batch, print it, get a, get a pen and write a little note because that note is only going to go to that one person. You can customize it. That's powerful. And that's something that technology should enable, right? That's an example where the technology should help you do that. It should facilitate your ability to find those cohorts, you know, identify who they are, you know, easily let you create those segments and customize those communications to each that's the technology, that's the automation, if that's the right word, that really interests me, that empowers a fundraiser to do those things, to stand out, you know, reach out personally, rather than, hey, we're just going to take care of it for you. Don't worry, they're going to get emails on a schedule, you know, we'll do it for you. That's the thing that worries me. And segmentation is a place where that really manifests. So I'm glad you brought it up. You know, I was like, it was pre-pandemic. Uh, one January, I decided to run an experiment inspired really by some of the experiments, the giving experiments that you've uh, wrote about. Mm-hmm. And I've heard you speak about uh, in the conference, in conferences, even before you wrote the book. So I joined like 10 monthly giving programs. Mm. Some were big national groups like, you know, St. Jude, mm-hmm. um, the ASPCA, um, a, a national hunger organization, and some were smaller, more grassroots organizations. And it was very clear who was doing segmentation, yep. who was doing surveys. You know, I'll just lift up the ASPCA as a good mm. example. So I made my gift. I got the online autoresponder, which was very personal, did not feel transactional. Mm-hmm. Within a day, I got the email confirmation, like gift acknowledgement letter. Within three days, I got the donor survey and they were asking me, are you a dog person or a cat person? Yes. Is it horses or potbelly pigs? Like literally. And then once I filled out that survey, the communication and the impact statements that I was receiving based on my gift and the value of my monthly gift was so customized. Now we know enough to know that was completely automated. 
Right. But it was done so brilliantly and so personally that I've kept giving, you know, even through the pandemic, even through, you know, leaving my position as an employed chief philanthropy officer (laughs) in in Detroit and going full time into my business. Like those are some scary leaps. And I've continued to support the organizations that really speak to me and that, to your point, report back. How are my gifts making a difference? That's you touched on everything, right? That's a perfect segment, by the way, monthly donors. That's one that kind of gets overlooked for a lot of reasons. It's happening automatically, right? It's maybe a little bit behind the scenes. Maybe the dollar amounts are small. It's like, oh, they're a $5 a month donor. So, you know, you don't want to throw a parade for people. That's not what I'm saying. But, you know, a $5 a month donor over, you know, and at a retention rate around 90%, which is kind of average for monthly donors, that's that's a thousand dollars or more over the lifetime, right? If they never upgrade, which if you do a good job, all the things you just mentioned, you know, that's more likely it's going to happen. A perfect segment, a monthly donor survey, a monthly donor newsletter, you know, that nobody else gets because they're a sustaining member or whatever it is you call the program. And then, yeah, the wide service offering, right? If you're touching a lot of different things, they touch the entire spectrum of, of animal welfare, right? Um, cats, dogs, all the things. And most people are either cat or dog people. So that's a really good example of breaking through and saying, why did you donate? Why do you care about this cause? Um, Tell me about your pet, right? Uh, What are animals that you have adopted or rescued? And then you're getting dog stories, right? Because you're not a cat person. This This is kind of a generic example, but I think anybody listening to this can probably emulate it for their cause, right? And if you have a very focused cause where you, you're only dogs, for example, that's okay. You can still ask the question, why do you care about dogs? And you will get a variety of stories that, again, you can contextualize for you know, the subsequent communications you send, but store it in your database. This, this is a gold mine um, of information, right. That you can go back to draw on um, and, and include in, in those communications. So yeah, I'm not surprised to hear that you give to them because they do all the things that the research says that all these other donors are reporting back in surveys, you know, from 30 years on, of why they keep giving. And you can go overboard, right? I mean, you can you can throw parties and 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 parades and red carpets for donors and cede too much control to them. Like that is a real thing. And I know you're sensitive to that. And I wanted to bring it up, right? Cuz you can go overboard and you don't want to do that. You don't want to cede so much power. But when it comes down to did you say thank you versus not saying thank you? You know, you can say thank you in an equitable way that doesn't take away from all the great things that your employees do and the dignity of, of your service recipients and your stakeholders. And, and again, the ROI on that activity is there. It may take a little while. It may not have that immediate benefit that say an event does, although events take a lot of prep time. So maybe it's not a great example. Um, but over the long term, it's definitely yeah. there. Yeah. And by the way, events have a much higher cost per dollar raise, yeah, not even including sure. staff time and how laborious opportunity they cost. Mm-hmm. And just the other thing I want to illuminate that you spoke about when you said, you know, maybe I'm a monthly donor to an organization. Why, how can you justify coming back to make an additional ask or an upgrade to yeah. that gift value? And so 
when the ASPCA reaches back out to me, it's when a tornado strikes in Texas. Mm. It's when all these animals in Ukraine are being left behind. It's about all these additional unexpected catastrophic kinds of things happen. Maybe even I, I support also an animal organization in the city of Detroit called Detroit Dog Rescue. Mm. And, you know, they might have a big news story like this big dog fighting ring was just busted. Wow. And that's the catalyst for them to send the out opportunity to mm-hmm. monthly donors to say, hey, we now have 40 dogs. Yeah. That need rehabilitated and cared for. So there are opportunities for sure to do those additional one-time gifts yeah. and gift value upgrades. I, I, there, I've been given $5 a month to local NPR here in Indy for 15 years. They've never asked me to upgrade. And I, I probably should, like that's that a little bit is on me. Actually, a lot of it is on me to go ahead and do that. But if somebody emailed me and said, hey, Steven, you've been given $5 a month. Would you be willing to go up to eight this year? Yeah, do it. Like, go ahead. And if they can do it for me, even better. That's a good one. I'm, I'm guessing your listeners, people listening to this, if they've stuck around this long after listening to me, but look at your monthly donors. Have they been giving the same amount for years and years and years? And it doesn't take much, right? It's two to two or $3 extra a month, again, over the lifetime, that could be significant. And the fact that they do upgrade, that's a signal, right? That's an engagement signal that, oh, like they really like us. Maybe we could do some other things with them. Maybe they would be likely to give that extra 13th gift or whatever at at end of year or giving Tuesday or something like that. But yeah, that's just another example of ways that monthly donors kind of fly under the radar, big opportunity there. Mm. And we know they're the best candidates for legacy giving as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. We're back with growth member Jenna Zaplewski from the Coalition for Children, Youth, and Families in Milwaukee talking about how having 24-7 access to Tammy Zonker's on-demand training library is helping her become a better fundraiser. Since joining the Fundraising Transformers group, I have had the opportunity to go back and re-watch a host of trainings on such a wide variety of topics, from how to work with my team members inside my organization, to how to get my board excited and passionate about fundraising, and topics like how to reach out to a donor and how to get a meeting with a donor. Here's Stevie Shoemate from Chapters Health Foundation in Tampa, sharing that as a growth member in Tammy's Fundraising Transformers community, you're never alone. How members of the community support one another by sharing resources and lessons learned to help solve tough fundraising problems. You oftentimes learn from other people across the entire country, which is really nice because it helps you understand that you're not alone in your uh, fundraising challenges. um, I was just sharing with someone the other day that it really helped me feel like I wasn't the only one experiencing these challenges, knowing that someone from New York or New Hampshire or Texas, um, people all over the U.S. with varying communities and different fundraising strategies, we're all in this together. At the end of the show, we'll hear why members enjoy learning from Tammy and what you can expect when you join as a growth member in her Fundraising Transformers community. To learn more about the Fundraising Transformers community, visit fundraisingtransformed.com forward slash growth. 
all right, so I can't pass by this word that you created called seg lumping. (laughs) I love that word. (laughs) Tell us about the word, where it comes from. This is another one where intentions are good, right? It's, 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 it, I think a lot of times it manifests where we want to segment, we understand the value of it. We want to say different things, to different people, but maybe we don't have the technology um, to enable it. So imagine uh, you get an email from a nonprofit, maybe it's around giving Tuesday and it says, whether you've already made your giving Tuesday gift or you've already donated we want to say thank you. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Why don't you email the people who have and email the people who have not? They've, the, the segments have been lumped together and you set, kind of say that, that catch-all phrase that um, will apply to everyone. Now, this is good, but it, uh, again, good intentions. I mean, but on the receiving end, it's like, yeah, I've, I've already donated, so I'm not going to do anything with this, right? And they immediately archive the email or go about their day. Whereas, you know, let's send two messages, one to each group and say different things to them, maybe ask different things through them, or maybe say thank you to one and make an ask to the other. That's more powerful. You know, it's, it's almost worse than not segmenting, right? Because you're sort of illustrating to the recipient that you don't know who they are, right? Or you don't have the ability to do it. I know it's tough when, you know, maybe you can't afford those tools or they're not available to you. Um, but that, you know, taking the time, even if it takes some manual effort to separate those lists, you know, queue up separate emails for both and say different things to both people, that again is worth the time rather than, okay, we can send it to everybody. We can just put in the merge field or whatever and say generic things and, and it'll be covered and we can do it quickly. That's probably not going to generate the same results as if you set aside, okay, let's do a couple hours, let's build the list, let's say different things to different people. Um, yeah, don't lump those people together into uh, one generic catch all segment. And that's again another example where, you know, maybe not using technology in, in the best possible way, um, even though that technology is letting you get something out the door, it may not have that, you know, impact. Uh, on the recipient uh, who receives it. Yeah, it's so true. And it happens a lot. And to your point, you know, we're overworked. We have the best intentions, but we just got to keep this train moving. But here's what I have found, because I've walked in those shoes. I mean, I have been a chief development officer for nine years at at the Children's Center in Detroit. And in those first three years, we tripled fundraising results. Mm. We doubled again by the time I left at year nine. And here's the thing. It did take investment. We had to spend money to raise money. And when I would just do a simple scenario where I would say, if we could increase our donor retention by 5%, yeah. if we could increase our response rate by 2% based on the average gift value or better yet, the median gift value, Here's what the return on investment for for this would be in year one, year two, year three. And when I took that to my CEO, I never got turned away. (laughs) I never did. It might be great. Let's plan for that next fiscal year. Okay, great. I'm going to like remember that. (laughs) But the point is that where there is a will and a return on investment analysis, there is a way. Yeah, that usually gets boards uh, 
eyebrows raised, right? And I've got the spreadsheet. If, if anybody wants that, you can plug your numbers in and see. It's like compound interest. It's really amazing. You know, we have customers that say, oh, we, we, went, we went up one percentage point in retention. And we get excited because we know that can be tens of thousands of dollars, again, over the lifetime of those people giving. Not to mention all the things you mentioned, the, the plan giving, that was a great call out. So many other sort of ancillary benefits to having those people around for longer, in addition to just that extra money, which is great. And, you know, the board is going to love that for sure. Um, but that's a great way to get buy-in. Illustrate, okay, we're at 45% retention right now. This is our database size. This is our average gift size. Look what happens if we can get to 47% or even 46, just go up 1%. Shoot for an increase. Don't shoot for like, okay, we got to get to 60% or 70%. First of all, that's really high and that's like pretty vaulted territory, right? And maybe not necessarily achievable, but you don't need a big increase to really, really see um, a big change to your bottom line. Um, but yeah, I agree. That's a great way to get the buy-in is show them the numbers of what would happen. And then if you can couple that with a game plan, okay, this is how we want to do it, right? This is the time we're going to set aside. We're going to make some videos. We're going to, you know, redo our welcome kit. We're going to make sure that first time donors get called. If we have a phone number for them, you know, within a week, list out those, list out your segments. What are your segments? Monthly donors, brand new donors, lapsed donors. That applies to everybody. But are there other things, you know, um, alumni, um, you know, former patients or former service recipients, you know, people that have adopted animals from us from the past, grab the whiteboard. And I'm guessing, you know, if you go through the exercise, you could probably fill a whiteboard with all the different types of people who support you. Those are your segments. And then it's like, okay, what are the stories? What do we want to say to these people? What do we want them to do? Do we want them to become monthly donors? Do we want them to volunteer? That, that's when start, stuff will start happening if you can just put that game plan together. And I think you'll find it's fun. That, that's what I tell people is like, this is, this is fun, right? This is more enjoyable than like, we got to find an event venue and we got to find the caterer and we got to pick out the, and I'm not really anti-events, like events can be fine, but like, this is more fun, um, especially when, if, if you are someone who likes storytelling and is passionate about the organization, which you're probably going to have that second one, you know, pinned anyone who's listening to this. Yeah. It's exciting when you start like creating possibility on that flip chart paper or mm -hmm. that whiteboard. I agree. And I, I, you know, to anyone who feels like, oh my gosh, I would be overwhelmed by that. I would say, and I'm sure you would agree, Stephen. So let's just brainstorm them and then pick three to pursue Yep. this year or this quarter yep. and which three would we then pursue the next year? Like eat that elephant one bite at a time. Yes, absolutely. And there's probably three that applies to everybody. First time donors, right? 20% retention. If you do nothing, let's call them. Let's get them a welcome kit. Let's shoot them a quick video just to say, thank you. Um, you know, lapsed donors, everybody has lapsed donors, you know, don't, don't take those people out of your database. Don't remove them and give up on them. Not a lot are going to come back, but you might be able to carve some of them back. And then third, maybe it's a wild card. Maybe it's your monthly donors, your people who have been giving five years or more, right? Those plan giving prospects, um, service recipients, volunteers who have never donated. That's a great one. That's one in your database. You should be able to get to that report. Ask them. They may actually think it's weird. You know, volunteers are way more likely to donate than non-volunteers, total strangers. Don't be worried about upsetting the apple cart or like, oh, they're already volunteering. We don't want to mess that up. 
those are great prospects. And that's, that's a, a segmented appeal or campaign that, um, is, is kind of a no brainer to me. Ask those people, um, that, and broadly a segment is, you know, who have we never asked that's in our community or in our sphere of influence? Let's ask them. We're fundraisers. So, you know, you're not, not going to get, we don't ask for typically, but yeah, start small and, and see what happens. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. So in part seven of your book, Robots Make Bad Fundraisers, you make some crystal ball future predictions um, and what to look for. Do you want to kind of enlighten us on some of the top predictions or at least things to keep on our radar during during these times? It's, it's funny because I wrote the book in 19 and, and turned it in and I think January of 2020 and then the whole world changed. Um, so in two years, I mean, two years is, is, an, is eons in terms of technology, right? There are, there are so many cool things. I was emailing somebody about, about something like this yesterday where I said, yeah, here's this cool tool that can, you know, you can make a, an interactive annual report that you can just email to anyone and they can scroll through it. And it's not just a PDF or something you send through the mail, which is good by the way, but it can be a little bit, you know, more interactive, you know, things that make it easy. I I think that's what, that's what benefits the nonprofit sector the most things like lets you create videos, right. That you can open up your webcam and fire off and record a really high quality video and send that off to a donor that says, thank you. Or like that annual report thing, or dang Canva, it's like, I got to make a brochure and I don't know Photoshop, right? But now we've got Canva and we can get in there and make a nice social media graphic really effortlessly. That's the stuff that excites me that again, enables that productive behavior, you know, that is kind of centered around relationship building and reporting on outcomes and saying, thank you. Um, but there's other neat things that, that automate things that should be automated. You know, there's tools like um, there's online giving tools that will adapt to the donor's location or past history. And for example, suggest different gift amounts than maybe you would see if you were on their website because you have given in different ways before, or maybe you live in a different area um, with different demographic information. That stuff really, really excites me. But in general, things that cut through data and and really parse it out for people. This is a donor you should call because we've collected these signals from them and we think that they are ripe for an upgrade, right? Or this person has been giving to you, but they're giving to other organizations like yours and they're giving a lot more, right? So maybe you should ask them for more money or dang, this person looks like they're about to lapse because that engagement has really gone downhill over the past year. Maybe you want to do something to warm them up. Those kinds of things, the things that one, make make processes easier that maybe fundraisers have been locked out of because they didn't don't have access to software or don't have the training to use something like Photoshop. Um, and then other things that kind of cut through that data and you know inform the fundraiser and empower them. I think it's all about empowerment rather than taking the task off their plate. We want to empower you to do that task yourself, but do it in an effective way and to the right person at the right time and tell the right story. That again is the litmus test. And that stuff is either here or coming really soon. And you know, if you have me back in two years, 
you know, who knows all the great widgets and tools that we can talk about. But I think those are the things that will pop up and that you'll start to see at trade shows and, you know, in your newsfeed advertised. And that's the stuff I would look closely at, to be honest with you, um, because it can enhance the efforts that you're already doing and, and really kind of supercharge those things. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right, Stephen. So to wrap up, I'm just going to give you some rapid fire questions. Okay, I'm ready. Uh, first one. <laughs> What's the best fundraising or development advice you've ever heard? Oh, wow. Um, oh, that's a good one. Um, I would say, wow, that's a really good one. I would say um, it, it sounds like a little bit of a cop out, but talk to your donors, you know, talk to the supporters that you already have, ask them those questions. Why do you give? What have we done well? Why do you care about this cause? I feel like we we suffer a little bit from a a lack of curiosity of, about our supporters, right? Imagine if a, a birthday present showed up on your door from someone you didn't know, and it was exactly what you asked for or wanted. You'd probably be like, hmm, how, how'd they know that? Why did they do that? Like, you would probably show some curiosity. I think a lot of times we just get gifts, and it's like, dang, that's awesome. You know, we say thank you, but um, why did they give? You know, why did they? What moved them? What happened in their lives that that prompted or maybe generated that feeling or that anger about what was going on in the world that they wanted to solve or or improve? Um, it's so so powerful. And you know, we talk to customers, businesses talk to customers. I think it's the same thing, and and can really do wonders and maybe open your eyes to things you didn't realize that. Uh, you know, you were doing or creating out there in the community. So good. Next, what book do you recommend to our audience and why? Well, I, I don't want to say my book because that would be um, a, a little self-promotional. Uh, uh, to your point about the crystal ball, I think in my book, I do recommend a book uh, by Jane McGonigal. Um, about gamification. Gamification is one of those things that, again, I kind of see coming down uh, the pipe here where it's kind of creeping into the tools you're using. I think you'll start to see that in the software you use where um, the software will kind of encourage you, you know, things like giving you rewards or badges or feedback. That's why games are um, so sticky with people is because you get that constant feedback. And in the book, McGonagall kind of posits that that is already starting to make its way into the everyday tools we use, like Fitbits and maybe your financial planning software that kind of rewards you or tells you what you're doing well or maybe not doing so well. I think you'll start to see that even in fundraising tools is even more of an encouragement. And there is a parallel there with fundraising, right? The thermometer, that's sort of a form of gamification. Um, and I think that it works both ways, both in the tools we use, but also as a way to kind of motivate donors to keep doing things, donating, volunteering, uh, it's called reality is broken by Jane McGonigal. And it's, it's, it's really eye-opening. I think it'll make you think differently about the things that motivate, um, the average person. Mm -hmm. And to your point, I think that there are so many examples of that in our own lives right now. I know like I will move heaven and earth to get to gold on my Peloton treadmill each month. Yes, exactly. And, and like, it's just between me and Peloton. 
Right. It's not like there's any world. No one's given me a gold medal for yep. that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Stephen, what are the top three characteristics needed to be a successful fundraiser? Well, that curiosity is one, yeah. right? Going back to, to kind of finding out what makes your people tick. Uh, I think maybe a, a fearlessness, if that makes sense. Uh, and we saw this over the pandemic, people just, you know, experimenting with new things, going out on a limb and trying things. And then data driven, right? To your point about showing the board or your boss, hey, this is what would happen if we were to improve these rates. You know, that combination, I think, is, is really powerful. Storytelling, if I can add in a fourth, right? The ability to share that impact um, and tell stories, uh, you know, in a way that, that resonates with the audience. Um, but I think without the curiosity, it might be hard to do that. So that's kind of why I rank it higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, aside from Bloomerang, because I know you're a <laughs> modest Midwestern person, besides Bloomerang, what's your favorite fundraising tool or application? This, this one called Yearly. If you go to yearly.report, so Y-E-A-R-L-Y dot report. It's really cool. It's something that's kind of come across my desk recently where you can create beautiful, interactive annual reports um, in kind of a web-based environment and be able to just fire those things off to anyone you want to send it to. They can kind of scroll through it. Beautiful pictures and charts and stories. Um, you know, forget worrying about having to, you know, create something in PowerPoint or maybe hire an expensive agency to create, you know, a PDF. Um, that's one that that I, I see the reports get shared on social media by people not even connected to. Um, I would definitely check that one out if maybe you want to up your your annual report game, for example. But yeah, it's called very, yearly. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And we will link to that in the show notes okay. so folks can just click on that. And and likewise, Stephen, um, is the retention spreadsheet that Bloomerang created? Is yeah. that on your I'll we'll link that to, to that you. as well? Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. Uh, what's your favorite fundraising conference and why? Not to get oh, you in dang. any hot water, because I, I know I, you speak at a lot of them. There's a lot. You know, we're recording this in March, so we've got the the NATO, the YMCA conference. So for you YMCA folks, of course, AFPI con coming up. Um, I love the nonprofit storytelling conference. Typically, it's at the end of the year, kind of October, November-ish. Um, Cause Camp is one that also I really like. Uh, and then NTC by, by N10. I, I love how accessible and, and equitable that conference is to folks. You know, it's, it's, it's virtual. Um, they do a great job bringing in speakers that are, are talking about things that maybe don't get as much as attention as they should. Um, but then you, 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 you obviously can't go wrong with maybe your local AFP chapters, uh, annual event as well. Uh, if you're, if you're near one, those are always great gatherings. Wonderful. Last question, knowing what you know now about fundraising and the nonprofit sector, what advice would you give your younger self? Who's just starting out in the profession? Yeah, you know, I, I kind of reckon with that in the book a little bit. I think in the past, I kind of fell into that trap of, oh, this is a great tool that'll just take care of it for us, right? It'll, it'll, it'll do it for us. We don't have to worry about it. It'll automate that thing. Um, and, and then also the, the stewardship piece, right? I think going back to where, you know, you can kind of go overboard and you don't want to 
give too much power to those donors and influence of the, that they would have over you. So just kind of setting those guardrails for yourself, right? We want to thank donors. We want to make sure they feel appreciated, but um, you know, don't go too far where they think that you know they run the organization. So those are things that I, I always kind of look back on in in my in my earlier years um, that I wish maybe I had more guardrails on. Wonderful, really good, Stephen. You're amazing. A real uh, <laughs> gift. You're a real gift to our sector. Thank you again for joining us Anytime. and sharing sharing all your wisdom. We're not going to wait two years to have you back. No, we shouldn't do that. And we'll get you on no. the Boomerang webinar soon too. Awesome. All right. That's a wrap for this episode of the Intentional Fundraising Podcast. Bye for now. We're back for a final word about Tammy Zonker's training style and what you can expect when you join as a growth member in her Fundraising Transformers community. Here's growth member Jenna Sapluski from the Coalition for Children, Youth, and Families in Milwaukee. Tammy is so encouraging. She's very empowering. She really wants you to succeed in your role. And that really comes through with everything that she does, from the monthly coaching calls to the monthly webinars. The guidance I've received from Tammy and other members of the Fundraising Transformers group has always been so constructive, so beneficial. And you can tell everyone in the group wants everybody else to succeed because we all know what a challenging job it can be to fundraise for our our wonderful causes and our organizations. You may be asking yourself, can a growth membership really help me improve my fundraising results? Is it worth my time? Laurel Grow from Phoenix Family in Kansas City shared that her organization increased charitable dollars raised by 132% since joining as a growth member. Becky Shambliss from Awake in Anchorage, Alaska shared that her organization increased donor retention from 13% to 69% in about a year using what they learned from Tammy's training. And growth member Amanda Johnson from Multiplying Good in Indianapolis shared that her organization exceeded their annual fundraising goal by 104% and grew overall giving by 13% in one year by applying lessons learned from Tammy as a member of her Fundraising Transformers community. Here's member Stevie Shumate again sharing how she and you can grow your fundraising skills as a growth member of Tammy's Fundraising Transformers community. This is the first fundraising role that I have ever been in before. Um, so at 30 years old, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, well, how do I rocket launch my fundraising expertise? You learn from Tammy Zonker. That's what you do. Become a member of the Fundraising Transformers community. To join our live monthly training and Ask Me Anything sessions and get access to our growing library of on-demand training videos and tools and share lessons learned with other fundraising pros like you in our private and safe online community, visit fundraisingtransform.com growth, click join, and get started today. That's it for this episode of the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast. If you like this podcast, subscribe and download each episode on your favorite podcast platform. Share it on social media with the hashtag, The Intentional Fundraiser, and tag me, Tammy Zonker, and you'll be entered into a drawing for some great swag, books, and courses. And if you like today's show, you might also be interested in becoming a member of my Fundraising Transformer 
community where I go live twice a month with my members with fundraising training and group coaching to help transform those fundraising issues that keep you awake at night, where I pull back the curtain on how you can take your fundraising results to the next level by teaching ways you can improve your development operations, create a results-driven, donor-centric development plan, strengthen donor relationships, improve your donor retention rates, and build a raging monthly giving program and a successful major gifts program, and how you can approach each day to ensure you'll perform at your highest level so you can be the best fundraiser and the best person you can possibly be. Thank you for showing up and for having the courage and determination to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. Bye for now.